This is Thought and Leaders. Welcome to this very special edition of Thought and Leaders with Together in Isolation. It's our first full-length audio documentary. It's taken many months to put it together, speaking to people from all over the world who have been kind and brave enough to talk about their stories of courage and perseverance. This documentary is called Off the Derech. It's about trust, faith, betrayal, love. It's about what makes us human, what gives us purpose. You'll be listening to four narratives telling one complete story. Of course, you can tune in and pause and pick up when you have the time after each narrative. You may find that this documentary contains sensitive material, So please bear that in mind. I do hope that on behalf of Together in Isolation and Thought and Leaders, that you will find that this documentary is of value to you and your loved ones. This is Off the Derech. Lindsay. Losing friends and I'm chasing sleep Everybody's worried about me In too deep I say I'm in too deep oh, It's been two years, I miss my home But there's a fire burning in my bones I still believe Yeah, I still believe Hello, Lindsay Hello I am based in Cleveland, Ohio I work in a concept called like a market hall. It's basically like like a food court in a mall. But imagine if it was just a food court. So it's just a large building with a bunch of stalls of restaurants. I grew up in an Orthodox community. I was born in B'nai Brak, Israel. I lived in Israel for the first three years of my life. I moved to Canada and then moved to an area right outside of Chicago. I moved to Chicago and then moved to Cleveland. And then I traveled around the country for specifically four Orthodox boarding schools, which are called yeshivas. And they're primarily all boys boarding schools that are just geared pretty much towards learning the Hebrew studies and what would be called the Talmud. We spend most of the day learning that and a few hours a day learning uh, what we would call English studies, which is general curriculum. Was it fun? Not even in the slightest bit. In a society like that, there's one narrative and one narrative only, uh, and there's not a lot of thinking for yourself allowed. They do try to answer every single question, so there is always an answer in that community. You so, you can, so, so you can ask questions then? You can ask questions, but... If you start asking too many, then you start getting like pushed away. You can question Judaism itself, but then once you start questioning things like anything you know that they disapprove of, they immediately start shutting it down. Immediately start telling you you're completely wrong. Um, and I mean, at that at that point, they pretty much just shut it down. They shut down the conversation. 
I didn't have access to internet. I didn't have access to people who weren't Jewish. I barely knew anybody who wasn't Jewish. We had to sign contracts saying that we wouldn't go on the internet because they felt that the internet uh, takes you away from their beliefs. At which point did you start thinking to yourself, I want some answers to things? So most of my relatives are not religious. Both of my parents became religious, but basically removed us from them. I went and visited them a few times and hung out with them and realized that what I was being told, that anybody who's not religious is just a horrible person, is not true. And that's that's when it first originally started. This isn't This narrative isn't true for starters and you know people people aren't just bad people because don't you know listen to 613 commandments god doesn't hate you because you don't listen to every single one of his commandments but you know as long as you are a good person that is what god would want now now it must be stressed that there are other branches of the religion which are happy that you go on the internet ask as many questions as you like be whoever you like Absolutely. There's a branch of ultra-Orthodox Judaism. There's many branches. There would be the Hasidic branch, which I've been a part of their community for some time at, at a point. I went to Hasidic schools. There is something then called the next step down, you'd probably call yeshivish. And then afterwards, you'd probably go the next step down, would probably be called modern. And then the next step down, you'd go like modern Orthodox. And then there's many more different, you know, step down or up of people holding more stringent or more lax belief systems. So the most stringent, as I understand it from what you're saying, would be the Hasidic one. Either the Hasidic or the Yerushalmi. The Hasidic believe in a different style of thinking about the religion versus the Yerushalmi have a little different style of thinking. They're, they're two different styles of thinking. And the Yerushalmi is mostly in Israel versus the Hasidic is a lot also in America. I know people in Chabad who are quite cool and quite reasonably flexible and stuff like that. Why couldn't you just like change branches? The way I was taught when I was taught, it was either all or nothing. And it, and it does make sense to me that it's pretty much all or nothing when it comes down to it, you know, there, it, the, the, the commandments do exist. There are 613. In my eyes, you could definitely can't pick and choose. These were commandments that were back in 2,000 years ago that were necessary for them. Washing your hands before you eat. Of course, that's a sensible idea. Bathing once a day. All these different ideas end up, if you look at them, they become, they're, they're sensible ideas of a lifestyle to live back then. If you are going to say, oh, I'm going to keep to all of those 613, then keep to all the 613. If people with, within your branch, within your division, would have just spoken to you, that would have made things better. In their mindset, they did. I think if I was in their position back when I was very religious, I would have believed that I had tried. In their minds, they really were trying to help. Oh, yeah. They thought that they were helping. I spent years trying to rationalize and think about it from their perspective. I came out at the end of it and said, this doesn't make sense to me. So there was a day after your mitzvah when you said to them, it's, it's not adding up. As time went on, I just stopped following the practices and whatnot. I did know my mom definitely hated that. I ended up going and working for non-kosher restaurants. Um, 
you spoke about mum. It must have been very difficult on her. It is still very difficult on her. What's more um, difficult, you think, the trans stuff or losing the Yiddishkeit? The trans stuff. When when I initially came out as trans, she first off said, um, could you just not be gay? So how old were you when you declared this? I was in 11th grade. By that stage, had you spoken to the rabbis about this? I had started to speak with the rabbis about it, and I was pretty much instantly shut down. I had written a short story for one of my English classes uh, for a writing assignment about a, a gay child who was bullied in school, and it was taken away by the rabbis, and to- they told me that I was not allowed to write this story in their school, and that I would be punished if I continued to write it. Sorry, how would you be punished? With fines. Do you think it would have been better if they would have at that point said, can we talk? It would have been better. I don't think the outcome for my situation personally would have changed. I think for many other people who who go through these situations, it probably would be definitely better for them, for sure. Coming out anyway, whichever religion you're in, it's not going to be easy, is it? No, no. Most of the religious people who end up getting shunned from their family that I've seen, it's because their family believes in a hardcore religious standpoint. A man shall not lay with another man like a man lies with a woman. This is a thing that you're not pinpointing on your religion. You're pinpointing this on any religion. Definitely going to say that I've seen it more prevalent in religious communities. Now, it could happen you know, anywhere where there's intolerancy. Mm. Have you formally left the community? I don't live in the community. I don't do anything really with the community specifically. I do Mm. still have friends that are in the community. And how do they treat you, Lindsay? Definitely different than they treated me before. They always have an attitude where they're trying to always grab me back towards the religion and telling me uh, to come, come back. This isn't an instance when the religion is saying, get out, we don't want you anymore. No, absolutely not. So this is your choice? The community I grew up in would only have me back full hog. Can you not join another community? I have been looking into that for a while, but I haven't felt a connection with any of the other communities, nor do I really feel a connection towards like the God himself specifically. So You don't feel the connection with God? Correct. And is that because you feel that he let you down because he couldn't be who you wanted to be? Everybody talks about how you can feel God, you can see him, his presence around. Looks like nature to me. How's dad taking it? I believe he's still disappointed in my choices in life. It's true, isn't it, that so many of us go through life with so many feelings of guilt and regret. So when it comes to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and, and you know the major high holidays, 
what do you do? Since I was 13 till I was 18, I fasted for over 26 hours. It's just a remembrance to how I grew up. So if you don't believe in God and, and all that stuff, why bother with not eating the food? It's out of respect of the belief system that I was taught as a child. You're saying that you have respect for this belief system, but yet this belief system let you down. Yeah, works for them, not for me. So mum was more concerned about the trans aspect of it. Do you think that if you would have been in a uh, community where they would have accepted the LGBTQ plus stuff, that she would have, she would have got her head around it? One of her biggest issues with it is um, what's going to happen to my sister. Let me explain that. You're always judged on the acumens of the rest of your family, too. When you're looking for what they call a shidduch, which is basically the prearranged marriage, they look at your brothers to see how, you know, how you're going to act. So with me being trans, that is a big notch against her. With my parents being divorced, that is a big notch against her. So in terms of her marriage prospects, because of your own sexuality and love and stuff like that, and mum and dad's uh, marital status, that's going to be counted against her. Absolutely. It's also going to count against her when she goes to her ultra-Orthodox higher education in this system. Are you angry? If I had the choice to either be born into the ultra-Orthodox community or be born into a either a non-religious or even a lower religious family, I would have chosen to be born into a lower religious family. Are you angry with God? No, not at all. Why not? Because I don't think that there is a God. When did you decide that? You know, during, during my high school education, I realized that it was more about like following the practices and following the nitty gritty over following what the religion actually talks about. And at that point, I realized if you're going to stand there and nitpick over the nitty gritty and everything else, you don't actually care about the religion. This is just an agenda to keep people's lives a certain way. Let's say you're an accountant. You're a person who likes things in a particular way. Well, I know some people who on a Friday, they'll eat frit fish on a, whatever Sunday they eat a different meal every day of the week. They know what they're going to eat. Do you think that this particular branch of the religion, it's about people wanting to have order. It's predictable. I do think so. My parents, they chose it for themselves. And a lot of times when, when I see people who, who are choosing it for themselves initially, they pretty much give up a lot of the thinking to the rabbi. I can only speak on this community. They'll ask almost every question when it comes to, can my children read this book? They'll ask the rabbi. When I went to the library, my parents checked my books to see if certain topics were in the books before I was allowed to read them. They'll ask the rabbi. It's easier on them. They'll ask the rabbi. So being a rabbi then comes with a hell of a responsibility. Yes, it absolutely does. So if the rabbi sits there and and gives all the edicts saying that you need to wear white shirt, black pants, um, you shouldn't have your hair too long, um, you need to have these side curls. I never felt like that fit. The same way you would say with somebody who is trans who says, you know, I never felt like being a male fit or I never felt like representing as a male. I never felt that that ever represented who I was as a human. 
Um, it's just a complete anonymity of a sea of, of a collective of humans, and you, and you don't get your individuality. There have been great, great leaders, great rabbis who are particularly individualistic. In fact, were even defiant. I mean, you take Rabbi Kiva, people like this. Moses uh, is probably the greatest one. We do see a select few that end up getting to have the individuality. But then if you look underneath them, they've got thousands and thousands of followers who basically believe themselves to be in the limelight of this other human. Mm. Do you think it's, it's become more insular than it was before? They'll ask the rabbi. They have you know, organizations to help when you're sick. They have organizations to help with your car. They have organizations to help with tuition for your children. With post-COVID, everyone talking about being kinder to each other and having a better community. Isn't that a good thing? But it also hinders a lot of people who are in the community because it doesn't allow them to see and actually experience the world. It only allows them to experience this small community and this very tight-knit. And whenever you're in a community where it's basically just a, an echo chamber of ideas, it's never mm. a good idea. You always need to go out and, and, and challenge your ideas, and otherwise you'll never grow as a human. So what about the argument that by leaving the community, people would assimilate and then they would even get to the point that you came to the conclusion of, there is no God and for them, it's like losing a soul. A lot of the people who make the rules right now for that community, they're trying to insular their system so tight that it becomes a pressure cooker for many of these people who are in there who need you know, to be able to express certain emotions, to be able to express their own individuality. Being told that the outside world hates you, they're all out to get you, that is the way that this community stays together. If you go back in the history of, of Jewish history, they definitely have a basis to stand on where they say these things because before their Holocaust, they had the pogroms and they had the Spanish Inquisition. And then, you know, if you keep going farther back, you have more times that they were oppressed. I feel at this point in our society as a world, we have come to a place where we understand and we're more accepting of, of, of you know, pretty much almost all humans. But what about Black Lives Matter? They're saying that people aren't accepting of black people, and these aren't Jewish people who aren't accepting. The Black Lives Matter movement has changed since the beginning of Black Lives Matter when it, when it first started. When you have 2016, the first Black Lives Matter protest, it was about the fact that there was you know, police officers that did shoot and whatnot. And so when initially when we had those protests, we talked about reforming the police and we are all coming down to sit down and say right now, we are saying we need to reform the police. I don't think that there's any faction really in the United States. There are a few, very small, that don't agree with the reformation of the police. But the, but the call right now, that the standpoint on Black Lives Matter, where they're calling out to, have, to defund the police completely, is completely inappropriate and is absolutely uh, a terrible idea. Um, this entire protest, it's dividing people significantly more than the actual original purpose for it. And when you think about those walks in the woods and the forest on Yom Kippur and you look back at your childhood do you think that these branches of the religion also make people more divisive? Yes. Any division in, in humanity is not something that we need. We definitely need to say 
So what you're black? So what you're Asian? So what you're Jewish? So what? We need to stop looking at that specifically and just saying everybody needs to have a better life. Listen to the experiences of Menasha. Hi, my name is Menasha. I'm uh, 39 years old. Grew up in Borough Park, Brooklyn. I moved to Israel when I was 18. I went on a summer trip in 97 and uh, kind of stayed. More or less, I grew up um, going to Hasidic schools in, in Brooklyn. I always found it peculiar as a kid that we didn't understand, you know, what we were saying. Things were seemed arbitrary to me there were things that you you know you couldn't ask because there was a shame associated with such questions uh, any type of questions any type of type of questions that you'd have like you know during when you learn Gemara or you learn Torah there's questions that you know may sound heretical like I don't know who created God I mean you got your cliche classic ones and then just ones that you just think up and but you're afraid to you know you already know that if you ask it you'll be met with some sort of uh negativity oh from a very early age on i was i i would always feel disingenuous like kind of feeling like when they would say you know every answer would be best or for me like i knew i wasn't getting something from my mom when she said Bezrat Hashem. I knew that was like a no, because every time there was a Bezrat Hashem, it didn't happen. So she kind of like truckloaded it onto that. It's kind of used as like when Mashiach comes, you know, and people use that, you know, in both ways. They're hopeful, but a lot of times they're very doubtful. Bezrat Hashem, for those who don't know, is like if it's big, God's will is really what it's about. Yeah. You know, when I was 16, I just, I still, I didn't know, you know, I still believed in God and I still believed in the Jewish God, but I rebelled and I would, uh, you know, smoke in Shabbos and, you know, not eat non-kosher food. But I always felt a guilt towards, you know, when I did that. And then when I moved to Israel and I started like reading the prayers and supplications I found, you know, I was like, wow, why wasn't this ever explained to me? It's so beautiful. So I had a few years where I was pretty religious. A big part of it was I served in the Israeli army. And when I was there, you know, some guy gave me a Tikkun Chloe and I would read it on, uh, and I'd read more into it. Back in 90, 
maybe 2000, there were some elections going on in Israel and political parties were giving away these little amulets and different, you know, trinkets. And one of the things that they gave out was a little prayer book that had different chapters of Tehillim Psalms. Psalms, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before that, I had some interaction with the Brestle community in in Tzfat, and I was like, wow, if there's a way to be Jewish, this is the way. And it just seemed like such a pure, innocent way to be. I've always been told different things that would be considered as folklore. Like, let's just go, for example, when I lived in Tzfat, there were fantastic stories about uh, the Abu Habshul, I think it was, and that it had flown over there from uh, Spain, either that the synagogue itself flew or that the people brought the stones from Spain when they got exiled and rebuilt it there. I remember giving people a tour, and when I told them that, something that sounded so simple and true to me, or possible, they looked at me very skeptical. It made me upset at the time, but later, when I reflected on that story, it made me be able to kind of get out of a paradigm of accepting what's told and to like be skeptical about things that sound fantastic. At the time I was religious, I had long payas. The long locks, okay, yeah. Later, a lot of different conversations that I had with people over time, like just random people that I had met, you know, met up with. And they told me, oh, you know, you should check out Bible criticism. Or you should check out, you know, How to Read the Bible by uh, James Kugel. From there, I was able to, you know, I would be on the internet. And I'd, I'd come across a lot of, like, different anti-Semitic things. But that would use, like, they'd um, quote questionable um, passages in the Talmud that I didn't believe was true. And then I'd go and find it and find it to be true. And, you know, and read it in an academic context as opposed to an anti-Semitic incitement. Um, and I just started reading a lot more about religion, just history. A lot of history always was interesting to me. Up until that point when I had read history books, I would discredit, you know, any timelines so it can fit the narrative of 5,780 years. Could you not speak to your rabbis and ask them what, what they thought about the stuff that you were learning? Ultimately, the questions that I have can't be answered. They're classic questions, questions that you see in debates it's between the atheists and religious figures. Usually it's a Catholic. It, it, it's faith. It, it can't be proven. It can't be disproven. It, it's, it's, it's something that humanity will grapple with forever. So do you think that there are branches of the religion which are more like cults? They're cults in the sense that they have a different language, different dress code, and ostensibly a whole different culture inside of another culture. And in these communities, you will find a lot of uh, controlling attitudes by the parents, especially the father. The father of each family is kind of like a king with his own sovereign home and what he says is the law for everybody. So there's a major emphasis, you know, as you grow up, that your father is an absolute authority. 
it's a one size fits all and it's not one size fits all. If you're not happy in that environment, then you're probably very unhappy. They try to stop you from leaving it because you don't have the skills to survive to leave it. To leave it is not as simple as getting up and walking into the next room. You don't know anything about the culture around you. You don't even speak a proper dialect of it because you're handicapped. And I think that's part of how they keep you in. But they are protecting a tradition that's thousands of thousands of years old. And that can't be a bad thing, can it? Tradition they're protecting is only 600 years old. What's more important, the tradition or the religion? Tradition trumps religion. So why did you fall out with God then? A lot of disillusionment and then learning new things, just becoming educated and being like, wait a second, does it make any sense? Is this true? If I go to the most devout, do I see any form of beauty or justice? I had to do all these different things that, you know, I have anxiety as it is. You know, just dealing with living was enough. I didn't need a plethora of new restrictions and commitments. They would say that it's all a test. You know, the way I see it is anything that's being practiced today would not be recognized original Israelites. We had what was called a temple cult that the Hebrew Israelites would would worship in. And that was the pinnacle of everything. That was the whole religion revolved around the temple. And when the temple went, the rabbis introduced a new religion that was based off the idea of saying that this replaces that and that replaces this. And, you know, but who are you to say that? And Oh, it's, it's it, the idea it was given to us by God. So I'm fine with them adding things, but then take things away. Like, but they say they don't have the authority to take things away. It's, it's kind of like a religion that's surrendered itself to the idea that there's some savior coming and we don't have to do anything now. Obligation is just to be in the ghetto mindset of us, them, and and it's been that way for many, many years. They, you know, I have no problem with the people exercising their rights, uh, you know, to religious freedoms and doing what they do. It's just not for me. What is it like living in one of these communities? being concerned with what others people think of you, what they see, how they see you, and whether they see you as pious or not. A lot of people that live in the communities have a constant feeling of being watched and judged by their co-religionists. It seems to me that a lot of this stuff has got to do with hmm, just communicating one message and no other messages are listened to comes down to faith it's like you can either be very simple about it and say listen i don't know what's right i don't know what's wrong i do know that my father's 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 father has this tradition i don't want to be the last link Mm. in that chain Mm. so your uh, children are they jewish yeah so if they were to say to you that they wanted to leave judaism what would you say ultimately i would be fine with whatever my kids did the restrictions are such that people feel a bit suffocated by it. It's a test and you're getting a reward. Mm. So common sense has very little meaning when it comes up against an actual prohibition or something that was dealt with. 
but common sense is encouraged in any other aspect of life. It's not that they don't have common sense. It's a willingness to be subjugated because there's no, no known alternative and no known better alternative. And the cards are stacked against you if you try to go out and get the alternative that's offered by society around you because you're not very compatible with it. Mm. It's a foreign, completely different world. Mm. And that could be very daunting for people that are used to seeing things very black or white and no gray. And things are either good or they're bad. But the religion is famous in the Talmud for having arguments and seeing different points of views in terms of answering a question. So it's not really black and white. There's loads of gray all over the place. In theory, that would sound good. You know, you're pointing at a book from 2000 years and it's taken as the word of God as well. Unquestionable. Now, reality trumps all. Everybody is just trying to survive and grow. Do you think that a lot of it, in terms of the hierarchy of it, has got to do with power? Absolutely. Yeah. If someone who wasn't Jewish asked you what you thought about the idea about converting to Judaism, what would you say to them? It's happened in the past. I told them, what's the point? A lot of it is like people not wanting to answer questions. There's a level of shame that's implied when you ask questions that doubt the fundamentals. And a lot of the questions can't be answered. And you're told, you know, that's how it is. The tradition of, of inspecting and checking is now for news articles. They're very savvy with getting all the news instead of actually asking these questions. It, it's like, how can you question your father? You don't question your father on an everyday basis and you question him on this incredibly important thing. Why would you even ask something like that? What's wrong with you? What is going on that you're asking these questions? Why you? Yeah, it is what it is. It's a very hierarchical society and the rules are very rigid. And the ultimate flap is not getting shiduchim matches for your kids. There's a proudness if you're an upstanding good catch, you know, and there's even more of an emphasis to protect the name and protect and, you know, and then you'll see these this coming up when somebody from an important family gets in trouble with the law. The amount right. of resources put in to protect them, no matter what the offense was and who they hurt. It's just, you know. When you say no matter what the offense was, what do you mean by that? I mean, whether it was sexually abused, sexual abuse or... Does that happen was, in the community? There's a avoidance of talking about things. You know, they don't even have a name for a penis or a vagina. It's it's referred to in a roundabout way. When did this uh, trajectory towards Victorianism and being puritanical become such a censored event? The answer is in our lifetime, <laughs> right now. So a lot of times they'll say, "Oh, this is tradition, and this is we're protecting the past," and it's it's not true at all. It was just made up now, and this is not tradition. They would argue that Hellenism was debauchery. Let's get on the right track. Go back to the fundamentals of loving each other. You have to be ready to look at fact. A scientist all around the world have a common way. And science is always ready. I mean, one of the basics of science is better science comes out than you accept it and you throw out what you don't need. What was fact 100 years ago, science may come up with a new fact. So 
that's fine. Just ask them why they don't bring carbono, why they're not sacrificing animals in their temple. And then they'll have a story and they'll say, well, you're not doing what it says though. And then they'll yeah. say, no, we have these addendums. We have these addition. But they would say that it's they can't the bring a sacrifice because there isn't a temple. It's really simple. So build the temple. You have an obligation. But build you can't the build the temple we... until this guy comes back. This is just like excuses so that you cannot ever change anything or do anything. I do what I'm comfortable doing, and that works for me. I'm ready, my lord. to tell her story. Hi, Esther. Hi. So I'm Esther. I am exiled to Orthodox Hasidic Jewish. I come from Stamford Hill in London. I am one of ten children my parents were not brought up religious. Have you left Judaism or have you left the Haredi world? Well, initially I left just the religious world, but I didn't really fit in anywhere else. There were a lot of things that happened, particularly after I left, which made me feel like I actually don't want to be part of a community that are capable of doing this to me. And yes, it is the extreme people that do these things, but I don't want anything to do with any of it. I have no hatred or anything. I just I just don't feel like I'm part of it at all. I was not given the option. I was born into it, so I chose to leave it. Was mum and dad bow to Shura or what? Yeah. I think my dad was kind of united-ish, that kind of sort of traditional Judaism, I guess. Um, my mum comes from the Middle East, Sephardi, so quite different from the typical community family, really. Perhaps somebody could be listening to this and say, well, that doesn't sound right or it's not their truth. This is just my story. But that's what this is about, Esther. You went to seminar? Yes, I went to school all the way up to sixth form. I did my GCSEs, my A-levels. Um, I actually wanted to go to university at that point, but I wasn't allowed to. Why weren't you allowed to go to university? It's a big no-no. I mean, even just taking my A-levels is, is quite a big deal for the community. Most people just about take basic GCSEs. So the fact that I took A-levels was already kind of pushing it. I really liked English. So I wanted to do that, study that in university, but um, it was an absolute no, both from the school uh, and, and really from peer pressure, from family pressure. It wasn't going to happen. I had no option and just went to seminary and 
it's meant to be a two-year course where you're studying most of the time it's religious studying. My particular seminary had a sort of couple of hours in the afternoon where you could do wonderful things such as baking and sewing, um, if you're lucky. They didn't like me there because I questioned a lot of things. Questioning is welcome, isn't it? Well, it depends what questions. If you're going to question something on the Bible or on what you're learning, then yes, you can question that all you want. But if you're going to ask basic questions about God, about beliefs, about why aren't women, for example, allowed to learn certain texts? Why, why, it, why am I not as important as an 18-year-old girl as a 13-year-old boy? Why can't I be counted in prayers? Why is it segregation? Why? So, so many questions I was asking, but basic questions about beliefs was what they had a real issue with. If you started to go along the lines of, does God exist? What about evolution? Was the world created in, in seven days? And all, all these things, that is a big no-no. That is, you know, you, you can't question that. And I was told that, and I had a letter sent home at the end of the first year saying I was a bad influence um, because I, I was asking questions that were perhaps influencing others um, negatively. To be honest, I wasn't questioning it to be uh, confrontational or to be in any way disrespectful. I actually genuinely wanted to know the answers. I really did. So the fact that you were questioning whether God exists was the thing that was really aggravating them? That was a very big deal, yeah. I mean, I was told to go to the rabbi's office afterwards, and he had a talk with me. What did he say to you? Go and write down a list of questions that I had. Come back the following day and he will go through each one and try and give me an answer to each one. I had so many questions. And I came back the following day and I sat down with him in the office. And so my first question was, you know, does God exist? And he, he was saying things like an orange. How can an orange look so beautiful and so wonderful? And how can children be born without God? And how can trees grow without God? And, you know, all the things that, you know, are just sort of very typical answers, but that wasn't really good enough. In terms of being an 18-year-old, did you have to wear a certain dress code or anything? So from the age of three, throughout the year, regardless of the temperature outside, you wear tights, you have to wear long skirts. And we're talking about three-year-old babies, really, aren't they? Toddlers. Uh, long sleeves, long skirts. Um, very. Uh, so also, the way you behave is very important. So not to be too loud, uh, not to wear certain colours. So, for example, red is seen as a big deal, so you don't wear anything red. Don't wear anything with writing on your on your top because, you know, somebody might be drawn to the writing and therefore drawn to your chest. So that's, uh, that's kind of how we were told. They would argue that being dressed in a modest way is that you are judging this person and not by the shape of their body or anything. Whereas in the world outside of that community, you're judging people by what they look like. You're almost sexualizing very young girls by telling girls that if you dress a certain way, that men will look at you and then it will cause them to sin. It's our responsibility not to dress in a provocative way in order to stop men from sinning. But actually, it's not our problem it's the man who shouldn't be looking at the little girls really mm. a lot of people live on uh government benefits so my family was kind of seen as different because although we were very poor my father my father did work damn hard to to bring money home so we would be able to eat and do normal things um, my mom having 
child after child after child was unable to work. Um, so she was home all the time with the children and it really affected her. Her mental health really quite badly deteriorating at points. Um, she was, regardless of that, the rabbi still insisted on them continuing to have children because in their words, as long as you're physically capable of having a child, you must do so. So my dad did go to his rabbi and ask for what's called a heta permission to uh, to go on the pill, to take some sort of contraception, and they didn't allow it because physically she could do it. But what they didn't realize was mentally she was unable to. Um, and me being the second oldest and my older sister, we became sort of mini mothers to the rest of the children. Getting married at 18, having 10 children, the first six born in the first six years. I mean, that is not acceptable to anyone. I got news coming. I've seen it all from the start. I know all your secrets. I know all your lies. I do know many, many, many families where physical abuse was definitely a real issue. We're not talking about just a hit here or there, we're talking about using belts. My mum, she was very physically violent towards myself. Um, it's that kind of thing, even sort of throwing you in, in a, a cold bath in the middle of the night because she was angry. The way she was able to cope was to lash out. I resent the system that created... Uh, the fact that she was able to have so many children and no one understand that that's, that's not acceptable. Uh, I think also we were surrounded by Hasidic people, my neighbours on both sides, all up and down the roads. And I used to think, I don't understand. You, surely you can hear what's going on. Why is no one stepping in? Why? So are the rest of the family still within the community? I have one brother um, who left many years ago and he's done his own thing. Other than that, one brother, um, yes. So why do you think that if it's so bad that they're still in it? Because it's comfortable, it's easy. There are many good things about the community. You know, there's a lot of kindness and charity. Um, if you're in then they really do support and help you if you need it. But they didn't support you, though. They would argue that I'm going to have a kosher phone, which for the listeners means that you can only make and receive calls, no internet stuff. I'll have a kosher phone because if I get involved with the outside world, it's going to confuse me. And let's face it, during COVID, it's been good to cut off from social media because social media in itself can affect your mental health. I do, I do get what you're saying, that there are people who have these kosher phones um, and that's their way of communicating with each other and that's, that's fine. But if we're saying, uh, if you're talking about knowing things, so things like domestic abuse, child abuse, child sexual abuse, all these sorts of things, there has to be more knowledge in the, com in the community, particularly in the more extreme sects.
We're not painting the whole of the Jewish community here. About 30,000 people, but it is still a very small part of the general Jewish community. The community kind of looks after its own. It even has its own ambulance service. Yes, correct. They do. And that's why I say there are a lot of positives about it. For sure, there's a, well, they have their own uh, security, their own shamrim. They have a lot of things. Uh, However, um, not to detract from that, but to add to it, if you step out of line, you are no longer part of them. That will no longer apply to you. Okay. And if you do step out of line, what will happen to you? Well, for me, I was ostracized very, very quickly. In practical terms, what does that mean? The age of 35, uh, Anybody you've ever known in your entire life, everyone you've ever associated with, everything you know, everything you have, everything you are, just taken from you. And you're just, you're on your own. You are jobless, possibly homeless. I was at one point. The threat of child, your child being taken off you, or your children taken off you. Um, you have to start right from the bottom back up again. So you're literally crushed down to nothing and you have to rebuild yourself and there are many people who don't have the strength to do that and I totally understand why because it is damn hard yeah it takes a long time to rebuild yourself back to just a normal member of society where you're just a decent person again and all of this is because they wouldn't answer questions or because you defiantly said that you don't believe in god when I split up eventually from my ex-husband, that's when I thought... Religious, I assume. He was religious. He was Hasidic. So we went from Lubavitch to a Hasidic sect. Can you explain to people what the difference is? Because they won't get that. Lubavitch, they wear black hats. And the other, the other sect that I was part of, that they wear the fur hats and the long the curls at the side of their head. The women cover their hair with a wig, but they generally wear a hat or some sort of hair covering on top of the wig. They speak Yiddish as the main language. They have little to no secular education, particularly the boys, the girls as well, and that's not great. The way they get married is different. So Lubavitch will tend to date several times before they get engaged, whereas the other sects will meet maybe once, maybe twice, and get engaged. There is also the arranged marriage side of it. So what is a Haredi then? Haredi Jews are... Slightly more open-minded, orthodox, but not Hasidic. You didn't denounce God or anything like that. You got divorced. I ended my marriage after 17 years. I had three children within the first five years. It was a very bad marriage. So I eventually had the strength to end it. It was incredibly difficult to do that. And I knew that I would get a lot of backlash from it because he was seen as this really good guy and so kind and so nice. And he's uh, just everyone liked him. And and then I was the outspoken one who always had an opinion. And I just thought, this is not going to be easy. But I know I haven't done anything wrong. And my children are suffering. This is not fair. Hmm. that gave me the push to do that so eventually I did now I never went around saying to anybody I'm an atheist or I don't believe or anything I simply changed my way of dress Hmm. and that's when uh it went very wrong (laughs) they would be listening to this and they would say Esther hasn't changed a bit we were right she's still mouthing off yeah I've always been honest and truthful and If somebody doesn't like it, I'm sorry, but I'm only going to ever speak my truth. 
And I was silenced throughout my marriage. I was silenced for 17 years. I didn't say a word to anyone. And I told myself, when I do eventually leave, mm-hmm. I'm, gonna, I'm going to speak up because I'm not going to allow myself to be silenced anymore. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down mm. it's, a bit, it's a bit like if someone wears a kippah, a couple, a skull cap for people listening. If you wear a kippah, yeah. It's a great responsibility mm-hmm. because you are going to be out in the streets of London town or wherever it might be or New York City wearing a kippah and people are going to not just judge you, but they're going to judge absolutely every Jew by what you do. Yeah. Do you feel that you still have a responsibility to your brothers and sisters of, of the community? feel that there's I'll be honest with you I feel that there's not enough people speaking about what actually happens behind closed doors but that happens in every community Esther and they have their people who speak up we need to have more people who leave the extreme sects and tells the wider community who are quite blinded to what actually goes on I wouldn't like to make people feel Ah, well, you see the black hat. These people are all abusers or whatever it might be. They're not. There's some really, really good, good people out there. 100%. Like I said at the beginning, I'm only going to say what happened to me, and I can't speak for everybody, but I still feel like there has to be people who have the ability to speak up. And there are people who cannot speak up because there are things that are holding them back. I have lost absolutely everything and everyone in my life the upside to that is that I am able to speak up because there's nothing that they can threaten me with do you know what I'm saying they can't say I'll take this off you or I'll do that to you it's all been done they can't threaten me with taking my job away from me they can't threaten me with making me homeless which is all that happened to me they can't threaten me with taking my children away because my children are adults now particularly with women there aren't many women who are able to leave the community because they have children, or we have children, very, uh, very young. And by the time I was 25, I had three children. So leaving a community with children is almost impossible because they will not allow you to leave. They, they're very much about saving the children, saving their souls, which is fine. That's their opinion. However, I'm the mother and I am entitled to be their mother. And me, whether or not I'm religious, I'm still a good mother in their minds, because I left the religion and because I was no longer dressed the way they dressed, um, I suddenly became a really awful human being. I was a terrible person and a terrible mother. Um, and I had this threat over my head uh, all the time about, well, not my two older children who were uh, kind of past the bracket of being able to be taken away, but my daughter, who's the youngest, who at the time was only 11, Um, So I had that threat hanging over me all the time of, we are going to take your daughter away from you, where she just disappeared and she was taken away. To save her? Yes, because at that point she was ready to go into the high school and I wanted her to go to a a very good high school, but it wasn't a Jewish school. I applied 
to six different secondary schools and because I wasn't in the right borough or I hadn't applied at the right time, I hadn't done all the things that you were meant to do. So I was left thinking, well, what option do I have? So I found the best secondary school that I could um, and she got accepted into that school and they decided to pretend to take her away on summer holidays and then I never saw her. I had to fight in court to get custody of my own daughter. And there's no one who who saw me with her from the moment she was born until 11 who could ever have said that I was a bad mother or I abused her or I neglected her or did anything that in any way would have been detrimental to her life. But the fact that I no longer believed and I no longer dressed the way that they did, I now became a bad mother. You can't accuse someone of something without any kind of evidence. No, you can. It's up to them to be able to prove it. But you can write whatever you want in documents. Yeah, yeah. No one should lose custody of their children um, just because they've chosen a different path. Wow. It's very hard stuff to hear this. People who have taken my own daughter from me, that is something I can't forgive. They were funded by the community to be able to fight me in court. You know, that I didn't have the finances that they had. They had uh, legal teams of finances that most people just don't have at their fingertips, but the community do. If there is a God and it, she, he, it, um, wants to judge me for choosing a path that makes me better human being, I, I mean, there's nothing else I can say, really. Well, a lot of people from the sect point of view keep on talking about the idea that everything is a test. Life is a test. Yeah, do you know, all these all these ideas were what I was brought up with. So even as you're saying it, it's kind of given me a bit of like, uh, not PTSD, it's given me a bit of anxiety, sort of hung over your head all the time, that if you know, your husband goes to study and you go into work and you do all the things that you're meant to do and dress the way you're meant to do, then you know the afterlife will be fantastic and you'll be that bit closer to God. One second, what about my life here? Am I not entitled to have a life that is fulfilling and satisfying and happy and with love and with kindness? And- but Esther, you know this and I know this, that they're going to argue through doing all this stuff, you will have a more fulfilling life. You won't be judged by how you look but who you are from a man's point of view you'll be judged by you know the dedication you've given to your Torah studies and so on and so forth and also looking after your family and stuff like that the only people who've ever judged me for the way I look now are the people in the community this is coming from the community that tries not to be involved with the internet interestingly enough these are the same people who have a kosher file. They have another one in the other pocket. <laughs> so, you know, where the wife doesn't know about it. And I know because I've seen it. I've seen it countless times. And I know so many people who have that. Are the rabbis more powerful? How powerful are they? Very. You know, they can decide whether or not you can have sex with your husband one night. You know, if you have an issue, you go to the rabbi and they can say whether or not you'd be intimate. Really? Yeah, yeah. I really do try to be fair. So to be fair to them, they would say that they're saying this and they're ruling this based on a religion which is thousands of years old. Yeah. If you're a member of a club, you know you either stick to the rules or, or leave the club. And what happens when you leave the club? You just move out and you get on with your life. You don't get hate for five years down the line. You, still, you don't keep on getting hate. You move on. But in my community, you leave and you're getting hate five years later. Mm. And yes, the rabbis are doing, quote-unquote, their job. 
what are they telling us? When I was married, I couldn't pass my newborn baby to her father because I was now, uh, I was, you obviously you're bleeding once you once you give them birth. So you're whilst you're menstruating or bleeding, there's no physical contact. I couldn't pass my newborn baby to my ex-husband. I mean, there's nothing sexual about that. Absolutely nothing. If I, you know, wanted to pass money in a shop, I would have to find a surface to put it down so he could pick it up. This is not. This is just. This is going over and above what is normal. They're taking the law and they're exaggerating it. There are some things, because I know people who are living in sort of more traditional uh, Judaism, and they do keep the laws. So, yes, they can still uh, have some sort of affection, but they won't have sex with their partners during that period of time. So those rabbis are basically saying to me and to my ex-husband, we were not trusted enough to be able to pass something without it leading to sex. Mm. We couldn't sit next to each other in a car. You can't sit next to each other in someone's house. That's not leading to sex. That's just sitting next to somebody else. If a family member falls out with another family member and the other family member wants to get in touch with them, would the person who's in the sect do what the rabbis advise them to do or would they be able to use their own initiative? They would absolutely go to the rabbi and ask, what should I do? Because I was brought up like that, being told, uh, almost in a sort of rose-tinted spectacles kind of way, we don't have to worry about this. All we do is go to our rabbi and ask them, and they'll give us, isn't it wonderful that we don't even have to think? They'll just give us the answers. That's how I was told. One of my siblings, who was not involved with the whole child custody battle that I had, she had gone to her rabbi who told her, you must cut all contact with your sister. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, unfortunately, they do listen to the rabbis before they listen to family. From their perspective, it was about making sure that their children don't associate either with myself or with my children, because that would influence them and make them realise that there is a different way and they don't want them to know that there's another way. So the person who is now outside of the community, they're a pariah. If you have any contact with them, your children will potentially have their souls cut off. Yes. Well. Yeah. Every tale has two sides. Here's the concluding part. Yitzhak. Od yesh mifras lavan ba'ofek Mul anan shachor kavet Kosh nevakesh lo yehi I couldn't put out this special audio documentary without reaching out 
to the Haredi uh, community directly to kind of put the opposing view out there. We have here Isaac Wallowick. Hello, Isaac. Hello on this glorious and amazing day. It is a beautiful day. These have been very disturbing stories. The general feeling that I've got from people is that whenever they ask questions, even when they were younger, Mm -hmm. they just literally were shut down. I've spoken to hundreds of people from the Haredi community, and I know deeply what's going on. Whatever you have told me is true. Not only it's true with people that have spoken to you, but I myself, over the years, I started using something that the Lord has created. It's in the skull. Some people don't know about it. It's called a brain, and it's godly. And I began to use it, and I started asking myself, many rabbis about many things, they didn't have an answer, or they mock me, or they go, you? How dare you ask the question? So I understand exactly what you're talking about, and there's nothing for me to disagree. Some people will be in denial about it and say, no, that's not true. Well, of course, there are some people that will be different. For example, Y.Y. Jacobson is known for his unconditional love and understanding and depth but to interrupt you, Isaac, whenever one brings up his name sure. in some of the Haredi communities, it's almost like talking about the devil or something. There you go. That's what I'm trying to say. But yet, simultaneously, he's being uh, brought down more and more places to talk. The ultra-ultra-Orthodox will not um, hire him because he actually makes sense and it goes about older traditions to shut up and not to question one powerful example, and you could please disagree or any rabbi can disagree with me. We were taught, and like you're saying from all those stories, not to question. It happens to be that there are three powerful stories within the Torah, within the Bible, hmm. that there was the dirty word, lama, why? And there was a beautiful response. Hmm. And I'm just going to share one of them is the daughters of Tzalafchad, where their father died in the desert and they didn't get their land because mm. it went according to the males and they went to Moshe and they said, hey, why, why? To Moses. To Moses, correct. To I Moses, apologize. yeah. They went to Moses and they said, um, why aren't we getting apart? And Moses told them, wait one moment, I'll talk to God. Mm. The response from God is unbelievable in my life. In the last 52 years as I'm alive, I've never heard a rabbi in my life talk about it, mm. but it's in the Bible. Moses went and he repeated the complaint from the feminists from 3,000 years ago, which were the official first group of feminism, which is amazing. Mm. And God responded, I'll say it in Hebrew, then I'll translate it. Cain dovrot benot salafchad. Rashi, the commentary says, they have spoken well. And God makes an amendment in his Bible and changes the laws and gives them the land that they deserved. It's crystal clear. The word lama, which the Orthodox, by the Jewish Orthodox, by the, by the Muslims, by the Christians, it's on all religions. Do not question, how dare you question God? We see in the Bible differently. But yet we were taught, you're not allowed to say uh, why, but there's no source to it besides control. It's, it's like you're allowed to question why about certain things, but about other things you can't. It's a bit like George Orwell with, you know, we're, we're all equal, but some are more equal than others. Those open-minded rabbis will say, hey, that's the Talmud. We always asked why. 
it's a fear. It's a very deep fear that is handed down from one generation to the other generation. I myself in my 20s and 30s, I'm embarrassed, but I taught it to my children, to my students when I used to teach. And today, and I examine it, wait, wait one second. I go, no, that is not true, which means whenever I see something, I just examine it. And if there's no source, I go click. And especially if I go ask the rabbi about it, people that have way more knowledge than me, and they look at me, give me this look like you, like, come on. Or they laugh in my face, or they tell me, please don't make a big deal about it. Then I know I'm right, because they don't have the answers. And I think today's generation is extremely smart that they're not, they're not going to be manipulated or dictated via fear. I love today's generation because they will be dictated by truth. And if something doesn't make sense, fear, manipulation, and to shun me will not work. Hmm. Yeah, but the thing is, is that they are taught by their rabbis, young or old, that if you do question things too much, mm-hmm. then you are, in, in terms of fear of, of, of God, you're going to get that thunderbolt, uh, mate. So do not question. It is evil to question. A lot of people have a view of very religious Jews, you know, as, as it's a very caring community about, yeah, it is about sadness, but it's also about laughter. It's about dancing. It's about all wonderful things. Uh, but then you get this coming up. Is it really just down to control and power that these people have? So there's two things you asked. Let's start with the first one. The first one is just like with you, what you have in the Jewish community, you have in, you have in all religions. There's various groups, and let's say, for example, Chabad, modern Orthodox, they will invite you to question. On the contrary, they like questions. So it's not just a blanket statement on all Orthodox Jews. Um, Even within other groups that are individuals, like we see in the Talmud, there was Hillel, there was Shammai, there was one that was more lenient, one, one was more tough. There's different type of outlooks. Well, it's the thing that if people do ask from a control point of view, it just comes across as, yeah. It's very controlling, but because I acted that way, it's because my parents and their parents acted that way. It is in reality controlling, but it's just, it just passes on from one generation to another generation, and no one questions it because we are usually, if you don't really become aware or read open your mind, we are just programmed and we don't even know it. We don't believe it. We don't agree to it. If you would tell me when I was 25, I was programmed, I wouldn't believe you. I would think, no, of course, my mind's open. I make choices, but we don't. So when you're brought up as a little child thinking one way, that's the way you're going to think. Unless you read a lot, you open your mind, you have conversations, you meet different types of people, then that changes. Isaac, the whole point of this is that when these people spoke to me, uh, they, they, they went up to their rabbi and said, look, I'm reading stuff here. I know I'm not supposed to read it for some odd reason, but I'm reading stuff and I have questions. Uh-huh. And then they were not given any answers and they were just pushed aside. The net result of this is that mm-hmm. they left a religion. Mm-hmm. There are sites on Facebook uh, with thousands upon thousands of people who have left a religion. I've asked these people, is it that you no longer believe in God? And most of them said, I do believe in God, but I don't believe that God would treat people in this way. Correct. And 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 I'll tell you something, it breaks my heart listening to this because all they wanted to do was ask questions. Yes, well, there was one guy 
who was a transvestite. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But they, he had, they had no one to turn to. So what could they do except for leave? It feels like it's a religion mm-hmm. which is completely closed mind. Correct. I agree. I definitely oh. agree. So what do we do? We lose that person, do we? What do you mean, do we lose them? They said, to hell with it. If this is the way that it's going to treat me, why would I ever want anything to do with this? Well, if they're gone, they're gone, and I could just go to those rabbis and smile on their face and say, thank you for your brilliance, keep up the good work, because the statistics are showing that more and more from the Orthodox community are leaving. It happens by the Amish, it happens by the Muslims, mm. it happens all over. Mm. Yeah, it's very painful. It's very painful. Yeah, I mean, it's painful for me to talk to these people on their behalf and also on behalf of the other side. Uh, I feel like like getting these people say, guys, why don't you just talk to each other? Why can't you listen? And in most cases, the people that I spoke to were very willing to listen, but no one wanted to talk to them. I'm not sure what you're referring to. Well, well when they went to the communities, yeah, and they said uh, they had an issue, whatever it might be, uh, or they wanted to ask a question which is going to do with science. Okay, yes. No one wanted to listen to them. They were just, they were just shut down. Uh-huh. Because those rabbis, when they were children, they were taught, you know, let a question God. So they're just following their program, and they're doing, sadly, a very good job at it. They're, it's not like you have a 50-year-old rabbi that's not listening. The 50-year-old rabbi is just doing what he was taught when he was three, four, and five. But he's not an idiot. Or is he so brainwashed? You just hit the nail on the head. If you study psychology, it's not about being an idiot. I study psychology. I help people with psychology. I use NLP to help people. It's all about the brain. It's Yes, it, they are brainwashed. They're totally brainwashed. And you see it again and again and again. I mean, I, I don't argue with anyone anymore. When people say absurd stuff, I say, but the Bible says... A, B, and C. Ah, what are you talking about? They just make fun. So, of course, they're brainwashed. Human nature, this doesn't have to do with being a rabbi, being a Christian or a Muslim. Human nature is the way you're brought up. There's an 80 to 90% chance your program will be that way. Now, within humans, there's two basic two types. There's one type that likes to conform and likes to follow tradition and doesn't matter if it makes sense or not which means, let's say, if I'm a child by Islam and I'm brainwashed that Jews were never in Israel, and this decided to go there after the Holocaust, and I'm brainwashed uh, to put a strap a bomb next to me, I really believe that's the right thing. And they're, they're doing what they were taught. And I don't even think they're evil. I think they're more, well, obviously, they're doing evil stuff. But it's more brainwashed. This is what you believe. So the 50-year-old rabbi that believes you're not allowed to question God because it's evil He's not there to hurt someone. He's not there to shun someone. He's not there to push away someone. He's just following what he deeply believes. Mm. But he would argue that everything in life that we that, that is thrown at us is a test from God, from Hashem. So everything is a test. And so, Isaac, I'm sorry to tell you, mate, but you, you flunked the test because you're talking to me. I, I, I get it. And that's why I don't have these conversations anymore because my life is is very, very short, okay? If I live till 110, I, I only have 2,769 weeks left to go. <laughs> I actually have it on my calendar. If I live till 110, I only have 2,769 le- weeks left to go. 
I don't waste my time, which means when someone comes and says, I want to understand, I'll give them five <laughs> hours. Yeah. If I have five or 10 people around me, I have very close people that I have external friendships with. Yeah. I know what their philosophy is. I don't even get into these conversations. I don't like to waste time. To me, a minute is an hour. I get it. I get it. One of the ladies that I spoke to, that when there was abuse in the, in the home, uh-huh. her community, which is all very lovely and fiddle on the roofy, shut down. Mm-hmm. I mean, what kind of a community is this? Um, I'm sorry for saying this. I'm going to throw a word in that you might not want to hear. It's called a cult. Cults typically shut their brains down. Cults do not. That, that's, is, it, is it the epitome of a cult? Maybe not. But it's a cult behavior because they believe that men are perfect. They believe that women was probably made this up. And I've dealt with all this sexual abuse, with all this rape. I've been in the same boat. I've listened to all these stories. I know it. I know it vividly. It's incredible. I I, I don't even want to go there. I might spend five hours on this right now. So I know what you're talking about. What I would tell that woman is, in a very calm, first of all, I'll validate her pain. That's number one. Number two, explain to them their way of thinking, the way they're brainwashed, and nothing to do about her. And she has now a choice for the rest of her life. Yeah. The choice is to fight back. Yeah. Try to understand people are going to therapists for 10, 20 years healing or know that she is right. She got a beautiful life and just freaking create your beautiful life. But what if that means marrying out then? Is that she, could, she should freaking well marry out. Is that what you're saying? I don't know if ma- marry out. These people, they're so disillusioned. They just feel to hell with it. I get it. I'll be the last one to judge her because it happens to be someone that's not Jewish might treat her nicer than the rabbi, than the Orthodox Jew that was supposed to be loving and understanding and not to cover up on criminal activity and blame her. But hold on a minute, Isaac. I got you on this program to, to, to speak up on behalf of the community. I mean, I've got a million very sad stories. I assume that you are going to speak up on behalf of the community and tell me how I'm wrong or something or other. I will speak up on behalf of the community. Are you ready? I'm listening. When you go and dig for gold, most of what will be in your hands will be disposed because it's dirt, it's garbage. My focus on life, and this is one beautiful thing my dad taught me when I was 12 or 14 between that age. He gave me one piece of advice and that was the only one I really needed. He told me, Isaac, don't ever follow a person. You'll be disappointed. Follow all the good within people. And I never understood it till 20, 30 years later. I'm an honest and straightforward person. I will not lie on behalf of my community. Although if you would call me up, um, if you would have this interview with me 30 years ago, there would have been a different story and I'll be brainwashed, tell you, deny it like, <laughs> like everyone else. But what I am saying is that there are individuals within every community that you could ask. They will give you space. They will give you the unconditional love. They will give you that hug and that love and that validation because they know the truth and they go against one of the very few people out there is like I'm saying is YY Jacobson that goes out there boldly like a missile and says, guys, you got it wrong. And he brings out all the beautiful stories to prove. And yeah, you're right. People don't accept him. Mm. If you're looking for a liar and you're looking for someone that has a cult mind, you got the wrong person to interview because I use my brain. So I apologize. 
Isaac, these are some of the brainiest people around. Mm-hmm. You know, we hear of, of parents who aren't even allowed to, to speak to children because the children are told they must speak to the rabbi and listen to the rabbi, not the parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when I hear these types of stories, what am I supposed to say to these people? I understand you. Look in their eyes and say, that's painful. I understand you. Fire in this world will be romantic, beautiful, and warm and keep you alive and it could burn you. And all religion, they have used religion like we use fire. Instead of warming up people's hearts, instead of lightening up their soul, their life, instead of enriching day-to-day behavior, they took that fire and they have burned others. I'm sorry for being honest about it. In the world where we are at the moment, cults will be taking advantage of people's uncertainty Mm -hmm. and around the world we've got recessions people are losing homes and all sorts of things do you think this is a a very dangerous time from the point of view of people who have power influencing people for the wrong way and saying well this is a sign of god and follow me because i am the light when people are not deeply connected to themselves yeah they don't have control of their inner soul by default they will control others It's done through politics, through politicians, through rabbis, through teachers, through priests. It's, oh yeah, the answer to your question is sadly, yeah, it's already happening and people are bringing it out and there are recordings and there are videos out there. People are saying vividly, we need to take advantage of the situation and I can't even believe they're saying it. Yeah, it's happening, very sadly. Yeah, I'm very keen not to take a, a broad brushstroke and completely paint over what I believe is still a beautiful religion. Some people, unfortunately, I think, will listen to the podcast and say, well, that's it. All those people are just as bad as the other people. And, it, and as you said, the fire can burn, but the fire can also warm. Correct. Every basket will have a few rotten apples. That doesn't mean I throw away the whole basket. I personally have Muslim friends. I have Hindu friends. I have Christian friends. I have black friends. To me, all 7.8 billion people on planet Earth are my brothers and sisters, unless I find out something is wrong with this person. I have wonderful Muslim friends that are unbelievable, and they're so beautiful, and they're so nice. Christian friends, there's nothing to talk about. Yet 99% of us will focus on the 1% that we do not have in common, Mm. and then say, this is what humans are like. Yeah. So I, I investigate everyone. The first thing is, everyone is good, till I find out differently. So I'm not against everyone. I'm not for everyone. I actually use my brain. Investigate awareness. Yeah. You mentioned one of the communities called Chabad. One of the arguments put to me is that Chabad are very, very friendly towards people and and very kind to draw them in. What do you think? There are different groups within Chabad, which means I've heard people within that community say, you know what? Oh, I don't like them. They were so nice. And the moment I'm in, suddenly they forgot about me. They ignored me. I've actually heard children, adult children from this community that said, I wish I would be out of the community. My parents would have been so nice to me. Mm. They're nicer to the people on the outside than to their own biological children, which is so painful to listen to. Mm. Yet there are other rabbis that know they will be thick and thin. They will be for you even after you walk in. I've seen both sides. Again, it's, it's reiterating, do not paint the entire house red. Absolutely. Now, the, the other question, you mentioned the thing about parents. 
What would you say to the child of a parent who the child is told now that they must listen to that rabbi first? How would you get through to that child? It depends how old the child is. Uh, let's say the child's been involved with that community since the late teens and they're now approaching 30. Okay. So I don't know. So that, because that, would, that would be quite a broad stroke. Mm-hmm. The child is consistently told, do not reach out back for the parent because you're now listening to us because we are rabbis and we know what we're talking about and it's all this great test and so on and so forth. Um, it's very hard because I think that child is already within the cult and brainwash, but if there's any chance, um, and this you're going to have a laugh, <laughs> I would tell that child, do me a favor, go to the rabbi in the most respectful way mm-hmm. and ask him to show you a source <laughs> that you cannot talk to your dad and to your mom. Obviously, the rabbi will blow it because they usually blow it and they freak out. Like, how dare you question me? Because you're not allowed to question me either. But it's part of the brainwashing. It's very, very extremely painful. Yeah. It's just absolutely wrong. Mm. The only time that the Bible says not to listen to a parent Mm. is in a specific thing that the parent says. So, for example, the Jewish people were told to keep the Shabbat, to rest. And if your dad tells you, no, I don't want you to rest. I want you to go to work even though you're totally obligated to respect and listen to your dad, when he, tells you, when he tells you to go against God, it's okay when it comes to that thing not to listen to your dad. But that's a specific thing. So obviously, I would also tell anyone's child, don't listen to your dad. If your dad is giving you some drugs and he's giving you a bottle of alcohol that you must drink up every night, yeah, yeah. but not to, have a, not to have a relationship, such a statement could only come from a human being that doesn't have a relationship with themselves. <sighs> All of us, whatever our beliefs, understand ourselves. And maybe when we understand ourselves, we'll be able to have the courage to understand others as well. We don't have to agree with everything that people say, but at least we can try to get along. Correct. And furthermore, not only understand ourselves, because that's the easy job. The hardest thing is that I believe between 95 and 99%, especially in the West, to connect to ourselves. Most adults, even scholars, lawyers, and doctors that I speak to, they have no clue what that really means. What does that mean to connect to yourself? They don't even know. All the bad, the pain that comes in the world is from people that do not connect to themselves, that actually have a little spark in their heart that hates themselves. And that creates a whole bunch of things. They use different tools called religion, called uh, justification and politics, but it all boils down yeah. Yeah, to not connecting to self besides just knowing thyself. But they would say that you are connecting not just to yourself, but through following the cult, you are connecting no less than to your, uh, what they call in the shama, which means soul. So you would be, you are connecting to your soul. Sure. So by not doing what they're saying, you are cutting off your soul. That is what they would say. You're describing to me a cult. There is cult behavior within every religion. And people do not even know it. This is precisely, go read about cults. This is what cult is all about. Cult is shut down your mind and follow instructions. Yeah. That's what a cult is all about. Yeah. And Talmud was not that way. Talmud was, please ask, please understand. Let's work it out. Let's fight it out. Yeah. Let's see your logic. Let's see my logic. Let's come to a conclusion. Yeah, but that's, that's pure, nothing to do with religion. I have to throw the word cult into here. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you had one wish uh, that you could fulfill, Isaac, in terms of, of what we're speaking about? What would that wish, what would that instruction be, Isaac? <sighs> smile to a human being. Just smile, show an ounce of love. Love can warm up, which means if I tell people to read, open up your mind, there's always going to be resistance, all because you want to brainwash me, even though they're already brainwashed. But when there's love, there's a connection, and then they might follow the words of warmth, logic, godliness, spirituality, and kindness that comes out of your heart. This is the most powerful story, and I usually cry when I say it because it's, I don't believe it, but I heard it from the person himself. This I heard this about 20 years ago from this person that I spoke to in his 60s. Went through a very tough life from an from a orthodox home, got molested, and the ones that molested him then later on rejected him. He left his family. To make the long story short, I asked him how he survived because he had a few attempts of suicide, but he held on. And he tells me a very short story. He says, When I was five, I walked to the synagogue Saturday morning. I was with my dad and Uncle Pinchas. And we walked by a church and the bell went off. I was so frightened. And my uncle held on to bend down a bit to hold on to my hand as we walked by the church. And there was silence on the phone and I'm waiting for the story. And I go, so what happened? He says, that's what happened. And he bursted out crying. He said, someone noticed my feelings. They said nothing, almost did nothing, just held my hand. He said, Isaac, every time I really wanted to commit suicide, although my uncle was not alive anymore, that moment of him holding onto my hand with love kept me alive. Sometimes we want to write books, move mountains. Sometimes it's just holding someone's hand for a moment, looking into their eyes and smiling, which means I accept you. Beautiful. 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 Well, Isaac... We are, uh, you're, you're in America, I'm in here in the UK in London, and I'm with, with sincere heart, I am reaching out to you, uh, I'm sending you a hug and sending you all our love from here, because um, I think in the end of the day, love will find a way, and, uh, and that is what we can all hope for. And you, and you got a few more hugs from me, and it was an honor to talk to you. And thank you for doing your good work. And the truth must be exposed. And people's brains and people's lives must be challenged to do the right thing, not the traditional thing. Because some traditions are just a myth and simply cruel and wrong. <sighs> Sometimes I lay under the moon. I think I'm breathing. Then I pray, don't take me soon. I'm here for a reason Sometimes in my tears I drown But I never let it get me down So when negativity surrounds I know someday it'll all turn around Cause all my life I've been waiting for I've been praying for For the people to say That we don't wanna fight no more There'll be no more war And our children will play One day, one day, one day Off the Derek Audio Documentary is a goodbye production. 
If you have been affected by this documentary or would like to leave your comments, please get in touch via Facebook or LinkedIn. Dubai produces award-winning content which engages hearts and minds, including the popular global podcast, Thought and Leaders. You can contact us by email via reinventatme.com. That's reinventatme.com. So no way, sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday it'll all turn around, cause all my life I'll be waiting for, I've been praying for, for the people to say that we don't want to fight no more.